John 4, 19 through 24. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, we pray that as we receive your word this morning, that you would uh, equip us to steward this place that you have given us. And uh, as we hear your word, more importantly, we pray that we would have a renewed vision for your grace to us in Jesus Christ and the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would draw us to stronger and greater faith that results in obedience out of love and that you would bind us together in unity by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, many of you know um, that I uh, grew up in church and uh, I attended uh, a church that met in a YMCA. I think this is instructive because today I just want to reflect on this building that God has given our church and how we should think about this place and what we should do with it and in it. Um, so I grew up in a, a little community church that met in a YMCA for years. And so we would set up every Sunday um, in, with these metal chairs in this large gymnasium that echoed like crazy. And, um, and I had Sunday school in a locker room um, and in a gym uh, where there was lifting weight equipment, you know, and this is back in the 80s. So just think of a YMC in the 80s and, you know, a jazzercise room or aerobics room and all that. And, um, and then we would have our children's church in the lobby of this YMCA. And I remember distinctly one time we're singing children's songs and all the elders are escorting this man uh, down this long hallway who had come uh, he was a regular, but he was homeless and he was drunk that day and they had to escort him out. And I just remember the echoing down this sort of YMCA cinder block hall, you know. And so that was my church for a while. And then we moved to this warehouse uh, and it was a bizarre place to meet, um, kind of dangerous old, you know, equipment around. And then we moved to this community college where they had like a kind of a, like a chapel that we used. And so that that's what I grew up in. And um, I remember that in that church, um, I distinctly was shaped to understand that the church is the people, right? Because we had never had a building and we were meeting in all these strange places. And honestly, that's the experience of Christians so many places around the world. Now, later in life, I started going to, when we moved to Texas, I went to this big mega megachurch um, and it was, it was huge and it was really nice. And um, everything that the church did was largely centered around this building. Um, but throughout the week, I hardly saw anyone. But this church really grew and it reached a lot of people. It's still um, a church that plants a lot of churches and sends a lot of missionaries all over the world. Um, it's out of Austin, Texas. And, um, 
I just remember growing up there later in life, and it just it seemed a lot like the church was this building and what took place at the building. And um, I think these sort of two views of the church uh, are very common today. Um, we kind of have mixed messages about, about church buildings. Um, some people see buildings as a holy space, as, uh, as something that's essential to a church, to have a building. And, and other people sort of reacting against that, and I think rightly seeing some of the dangers in that, say, no, the church is a people. The buildings don't matter. In fact, they might actually be a hindrance to what God is doing and get in the way of a church and their mission. And so I just want to reflect on this and this tension because obviously we've just purchased this building. And I think it's really important that as uh, members, we get off on the right foot thinking about this gift that God has given us. And if you're visiting, then you're just, you're kind of listening into this family conversation. And I'm, I'm so glad you're doing that because we'd love for you to, to come further in. Um, but God has blessed us with this place. And I think we're going we're gonna to call this a sanctuary. Uh, and for a, an important reason, I think it, we'll see in a minute. But he's given us this place, and um, I think it's important we understand why we call it a sanctuary, what that means, what we should do with it. Because a sanctuary is, that, that word it comes from a holy place. And there's a sense in which I want to say this building is a holy place, but not because um, of some special sacred thing about the building itself, but because we um, are going to dedicate this place to God and gather here regularly as God's People. And so that's why I want us to look at John 4 today, because in John 4, this woman poses a theological question to Jesus about temples, about sanctuaries. Um, I didn't read the whole passage, but you may be familiar with this story. Jesus um, is supposed to, he's traveling and he decides intentionally to pass through this region called Samaria. Samaria was part of the northern kingdom that had split off from the southern kingdom of Israel and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom became big enemies. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. Jesus intentionally passes through this region where the Jews hated these people. They saw them as disloyal, as betrayers, as even enemies, as heretics. And Jesus crosses through this region and he does something um, very strange. He transgresses boundaries of gender and, uh, and ethnicity. And he speaks to this woman at Jacob's well. Jacob is one of the fathers of the, of the faith. And had put a well here and Jesus is traveling through and he goes to this well and he sits behind it and he meets a woman who has had six husbands. And as they uh, engage in this conversation, he begins to invite her to experience true life, satisfying life. He says, you know, basically, I want to give you water so that you will never thirst again. Find true satisfaction because she's been running around her whole life trying to find satisfaction in different places. And so um, as he reveals his understanding of her marriage situation, she begins to realize she's not dealing with an ordinary person. And she, she says, okay, I see you're a prophet. And so perhaps as a deflection, or maybe to try to get a better sense of who she's dealing with, she asks him this theological question about the proper center of worship. Is it in, uh, in the Samaritan region uh, at Mount Gerizim? Or is it in Jerusalem? And this question, I think, speaks to what we're facing today. It will help us understand what to make of this place and to remember who we are in Jesus. So I just want to say two quick things today. Um, one thing about the glory of the Lord, and the second thing is about what our sanctuary should be. So, so first, the glory of the Lord. I want to, I want to talk about this uh, for a moment. Why would this woman even bring up this topic? Because temples and sanctuaries were very important 
to, to Jews and Samaritans. Because a sanctuary is a place where God, the creator of all things, would dwell with his people. And the way that the sanctuaries were set up in the life of Israel is that they were, they were literally um, shaped like a throne where God not only dwelt with his people, but reigned over his people as their king. And when he was present with them, um, he was to be a blessing to them, to provide protection and provision and most importantly, joy. That's what the presence of God was to be to God's people. And so um, where does this come from? Well, as you look at the big sweep of the Bible story, we realize this is integral to what God has always been doing in the world. All the way back at the beginning, when God created all things, the way that God describes his creation of the world is as a temple where he would dwell with his creatures who are made in his image. And in fact, Eden, this, this garden that, of course, you're probably familiar with, was um, this high place on a mountain where rivers flowed out, and it was a lush garden, and it was there that God was to walk among his people and to bless them, and he gave them a mission to extend that temple over the face of the entire earth. And we see that even when humanity rebelled against God and um, did not trust him and was cast out of that sanctuary, God still had a plan to spread his glory, to spread his beautiful presence throughout the world. And so when he called Abraham, our father in the faith, uh, Abraham traveled through this special land and set up altars, little holy places, little sanctuaries um, where offerings would be made and worship to God was given and God was present with them in a special way. We see this even after Israel went down into Egypt and was enslaved and then brought out, rescued by God, um, that there was this tabernacle that was set up, this tent where God would move around and dwell with his people. Eventually, as they get into the promised land, they build a temple, a permanent structure in the middle of the promised land where God would dwell with Israel and reign over them. And they would experience protection and provision and joy. Now, the sin of humanity continued, of course. And Israel, um, they went to war with one another. They divided the kingdom. And so then there was this split between the Samaritans, the northern kingdom, who said, this is the holy place up at Mount Gerizim. And of course, Judah said, no, Jerusalem is the true holy place. This is where we worship. And so now the worship of God's people was divided into these two regions. And so the prophets came along and they began to speak of a time when God would restore Israel and uh, establish a new temple where God would be worshiped in truth and the glory of God would shine out and all the nations of the world would come in. But they raised this question of um, how is it that this central place, this, this new temple that was coming, would take the glory of God over the face of the earth because they knew that was God's ultimate plan for the world. Because that's exactly what God set up at the beginning, that humanity was to display the beauty of God and to find our joy in the Lord by being in his blessed and beautiful presence. And so when we get to John 4, what Jesus begins to show that the prophets did not understand is that Jesus was going to be the center of this glorious presence, that he is saying to this woman, actually, that, that he is the temple of God. He is God coming to dwell with man. He is the one through whom people come to the Father to worship him and to experience his blessing. And so Jesus responds to this woman's question about where is the proper place of worship by saying he is bringing about a time when worship will not be centered on one place, because it will be centered on Jesus and on all the people wherever they are gathered by his spirit. God created humanity to dwell with him, 
and we turned away from him, the pure light of God, we, we turned our backs. And now if we were to come into God's pure presence, we would be destroyed by him. He, he's too bright a light for our darkness to not be eviscerated. And so humanity was cast away from God's presence and atonement had to be made. So Jesus came into the world to cleanse us and forgive us. And Jesus went to the cross to be destroyed, even though he was pure and holy, so that we could experience life in God's presence again. He offers cleansing and forgiveness for all who come to him in faith. And so um, all of us are constantly invited to trust in Jesus so that the Spirit of God would actually come and dwell in us individually, but also in us as a people. Because that is what the church is. The church, wherever we gather in the name of the Lord, around the Word of God, we are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in us, and we become a sanctuary people. All the people that receive the truth of the Son and worship the Father through the Spirit, are God's sanctuary. And this building is then a special place when we gather together in the Spirit and we carry out our mission in the Spirit. The building itself is not sacred. There's nothing essentially sacred about it, but it becomes sacred insofar as we gather in God's Spirit and we carry out the mission of God through His Spirit in this place. So it is not a common building. It is a sanctuary insofar as we are a sanctuary people. And so I want to just give four brief ways that we should think about this building as a sanctuary insofar as we are a sanctuary people. So I want to tell you about being a sanctuary as a house of prayer. This place is to be a sanctuary as a house of prayer. It is a place for worship of God where we exalt his name. Uh, this is not a place that we want to build a name for us, uh, for me, certainly not me, for you. Uh, we were joking earlier about putting names on pews, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm, I won't decry that everywhere, but we're not going to do that sort of thing because this is not about making a name for us. It is about proclaiming and delighting in the glory of God and lifting up his reputation in this community, uh, promoting his name living in such a way that promotes trust in him by our neighbors. This is a sanctuary where we should lift up God's name. And so um, as we gather to pray and worship, our goal in this place is to have minimal distractions. Um, and so there's something about the simplicity of our worship. And um, you know, because we own this place, we're able to limit uh, intrusions in certain ways. And we don't have to worry as much about setup and all that like we used to. And these are good things to to eliminate distractions so that as clearly as we can, we can lift up the name of God. Secondly, this is to be a place, uh, a sanctuary that is to be a home. It's to be a home for belonging and formation. That's what a home is, right? God's people are God's family. We are those who have been reconciled to God. We've become brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to welcome other people into this family, invite them to believe in Jesus Christ. But we belong to one another and we've been um, made a family by God, and a family is a place of formation. It's a place where you receive belonging and acceptance, where people know you and they can walk with you and encourage you, but it's also a place and a community that has a certain set of values and beliefs and rituals that form us and grow us into maturity. And so this is not to be a place um, that's like a country club, 
It's not a place for our own luxury and convenience and consumption. It is to be a place of belonging and formation. And each week we gather as a family and, and we set this feast before us where we eat together on the promises of God and we're reminded again who we are and we welcome others into our life. Thirdly, we're to be a sanctuary um, that is a refuge. We're to be a refuge for hospitality, for protection, for healing. Um, it's easy in the time in which we live to think about a place like this as a fortress that protects us and um, keeps us separated from a wicked and evil world. It's, it's very easy to get into that mentality. But at Trinity, um, we don't believe that the, you know, the evil is out there. Part of why we're here is we believe the evil is also in us. And so this is a place where we're finding refuge in God together from our own sin. And yes, from the sin outside these walls, but it's a place where we come with all our mess with all our burdens, with all our wounds, and begin to experience healing through God's word as we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we want to be a refuge for others who are looking for safety, who, who have made a mess of their own lives or who have been oppressed and harmed by other people, who have nowhere to belong. This is a place to be a refuge for them, a safe place to heal, a shelter in the storms of life. And lastly, this is to be a sanctuary that is an outpost for mission to the community, an outpost for mission to the community. This is a place where we're trained in mission, and then we go out into the world, not as the good versus the evil, but as the people who experience renewal, who have a message of hope to a dying world. This is not a playground. It's not a party venue, right? I know the, the kids are excited about the pool tables. We're excited about the parties we're going to throw here, and, and we will do those things. That's not a bad thing, but let us not lose sight of the fact that this is an outpost for God's mission to the community around us. It is a beachhead. It's a place where we train and are launched out in our everyday lives, our neighborhoods, our vocations, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and to wage warfare, not violently, not through political powers, but through the message of the gospel and through our life lived in submission to our King. Friends, all those who receive the truth of the Son and worship the Father through his Spirit are God's sanctuary. And we together are to be a sanctuary people. We are to shine like lights reflecting the glory of God to the world. We are a family of God, so we welcome people into our home. We have found refuge in Christ from our own sins and from the evil one, and yes, even from death. And so we give refuge to others. We have been sent on a mission with a message of deliverance and hope from this present evil age. And so we gather to hear this good news so that we can go out and share it with others. This building, friends, is a tool. It's not just any tool. It's not a common tool, but it is, in fact, a tool that we are to use for God's purposes. Now, I've been to a lot of dying churches I've talked to people in them. I've seen them on the side of the road. I've talked to pastors. I've talked to church members. And I cannot say this clearly enough, that very often churches that are dying are often dying because a building becomes a place for a few people to have everything the way they want it. And um, that is a huge temptation for us. We have been a church that has thrived living on mission together as a community. That's I, that's a strength, I think, of ours by God's grace. 
And we have not had to face this temptation before. And so I want us to be ready. I'm not saying we're definitely going to fall, but I want us to be ready to, to, to notice that in ourselves, that this building is not just for our purposes for ourselves, but God has a purpose for this building to reach this community, to be a gift to other people. Um, and so I just want you to think about, um, I saw the show one time where this family bought um, like a, an old warehouse and they were going to upfit it to be their dream home. They had a couple of kids and they had this huge project. They were going to do all the work themselves. And as they were talking with the show that it was kind of highlighting them, they were talking about like this seven year plan to make the house what they wanted it to be so they could live in it as a family. And I just thought that's a great picture of building your dream home that you can't live in and you can't actually experience the life that you're meant to have in a family. And you know, we could also do that here. We could spend all our time and energy thinking about creating a dream home and not have the family life that God has called us to. And so let's be aware of that and, and be um, careful that we don't run that risk. Because the, the reality, as I said earlier, whether a church has a church building or it doesn't, the vibrancy of a church is grounded in whether or not the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and we are walking with the Holy Spirit. Because where the presence of the Lord is, we're told there is freedom and there is righteousness and there is joy and there is peace. That is what should mark us. Let us put our faith in Jesus and walk with him uh, and let that spirit build those fruits in us individually and as a community. We come to Jesus to have the spirit and to walk with him. So let's Let's do that together. I'm going to invite the children to come back in. Um, I'm going to pray, but maybe somebody can tell them to, to welcome, join us again. Let's pray together. Father, it is our heart's desire that um, we would shine forth your glory through our praises and through the, the preaching of your word, through the lives that we live, that um, this community around us and our neighbors and our friends would see more clearly who you are in all your goodness and beauty and truth. We repent because we know so often we do not shine like we should. In fact, we, we hinder people's ability to see who you are because of our own sins. But we pray that our lives and our life in this place would shine with the glory of the Lord. And that um, we would be a refuge for people, that we would be a, a home where people can belong where we would be an outpost for your mission, where we would be a worshiping community. And may you use us, if it is your will, to reach many people in this community with the hope of the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.